0: Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff live here on Giants.com. He is Paul Titino I'm Lance Meadow. Hope everybody had a restful and relaxable Memorial Day weekend. The Giants back to work. OTA number four. We will recap everything that came out of that practice. Pat Shermer spoke to the media moments ago, so we'll get into that. Plus your phone calls at 201-939-4513. You can also interact with us on Twitter using hashtag GiantsChat. So the biggest news out of today's practice, probably the fact that Rookie and corner Corey Ballantyne returned to practice in terms of team reps, Paul. He had been doing some individual work, but it was good to see him take part in the team facet of practice for the first time. And Pat Sherman, when he spoke to the media, said that was an encouraging step. He has said that he's continued to make progress each and every day. So that is certainly something to look forward to here moving forward.
1: Well, you guys will remember he's the rookie out of Washburn who was unfortunately shot in the glute. Uh, during the uh, course of the off season, during a an accident and, and a shooting, uh, which of course he was not implicated in, let's make that very clear. Uh, so he gets to the Giants a little bit later than the rest of the folks because the organization said take all the time you need to heal mentally and physically and emotionally. Remember, his friend was fatally shot in in that shooting, so Ballantyne um, you know, was able to reorganize himself and and, and get things together at home did show up to the Giants about a week later than the other rookies did, and subsequently uh, has slowly worked himself into the rotation here at practice. Now, you mentioned today he got his first taste of team reps, which Shermer alluded to and said, look, he's coming along, but to this point he's moving well and, you know, he's looking pretty good. But, again, there's such a long way to go, and, and they're not, going to rush him in any no way to. shape or form not only is there no reason to because we're still so early in the year but look at the number of candidates the giants have at, at corner with love and with with baker and with obviously jenkins is is the the grandfather of the group and then you know you look at uh, um at beal i mean even antonio hamilton's getting a lot of reps out there at corner the special teamer from last season and so is Tony Lippett.
0: Who so, was hurt for the majority of last year, recovering from uh, torn Achilles. They have
1: so many guys out there right now to to try to get reps from. There's really no impetus to rush Ballantyne into that rotation and say, look, let's just throw you into the deep end of the pool. Let the guy take his time. Let it develop naturally. And so I'm on board with, with Coach Shermer's philosophy here. Uh, I do think that, Ballantine, we can see he's definitely in shape and he does seem to be very quick. Now, he does not, he's not nearly as big or as long as Lippitt or as Beal, okay? He's not very thick, but he looks very agile and athletic. And of course, that's what the Giants really liked about him at Washburn.
0: Well, he was a track guy. I mean, he was a standout on the track. That was what was extremely appealing to him as a football player because he figured, hey, my skill set on the track can certainly translate to the gridiron, given what he did from a special team standpoint. So the Giants are hoping that athleticism, as you just laid out, Paul, is also going to translate to the NFL level. But I'm with you. There is so much youth in that cornerback room that if Ballantyne was going to miss some time, you knew, okay, we're going to get a closer look at somebody else, and we're going to put him under the magnifying glass, to determine what he could bring to the table. Now it's Valentine's turn to play catch-up and to get back in the mix. And every single day, it seems like another corner is making a play. So I think that's a good sign, the fact that the competition is already evident, Paul, considering there's so many young, unproven commodities within that position.
1: Well, I'm going to point to two guys in particular who I just think just were terrific today in the rain, by the way. Steady rain for most of practice. They were outside on the grass field. Sam Beal continues to impress me, and I I can't say enough about him. Every time I see Sam Beal on the field, he is making a play. He's blanketing a receiver. He's knocking a ball down. He's coming up with an interception. He's right there to immediately make the hit, which they can't do, so he doesn't make the hit. But philosophy-wise. Making that. the hit every time a guy catches the ball. He's he's really been very, very impressive. And I also thought today Julian Love had his best day. He did, yep. Very, very good coverage. Recovered Knocked the ball down, recovered a fumble you know, playing slot. Okay. That that's that's where they want to, you know, kinda of insert him right now. And uh that was good to see too.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. That's why to me it's a fun position group to watch because like you said, you know, you really don't know what you're going to get out of this group. And every day, somebody at least flashes. And Love today, I think, was one of the standout guys. Beal, right when OTA started, you knew this kid was ready to play. And you can imagine how much he was itching to get on the field considering all of last year that he was sidelined. Lippitt, I think, has really looked good as he's trying to get his legs back under him after really being sidelined for the majority of last season and even some of 2017. So the competition is there. And now we're going to see once. Training camp comes around. Once they put the pads on, was this a flash or was this basically a sign of what's yet to come? So I think encouraging results already out of the cornerback group. And you brought up the rain factor. And, you know, part of me was wondering, Paul, would Pat Shermer elect, once the rain was starting to come down heavy, would he take them inside? Because the last thing you want to do is see somebody get hurt and you don't want to, God forbid, see somebody go down this early in the offseason program. But when he spoke to the media after, one of the things he emphasized was, hey, we played a lot of games in the rain last year. So there's nothing wrong with exposing this group to I think those the conditions. the fans know that very well. Well, they do. I'm just going <laughs> to emphasize it again because I think most people are thinking about the health factor, why expose your team to the rain. But remember... This is the time of the year also that you want to try to maximize what you're going to get out of these practices, knowing that there's no contact, there's no pads. Okay, so you say to yourself, hey, it's raining. We played a lot of games in the rain. A lot of these young guys may have not been exposed to that type of weather. It doesn't hurt so that they can get a feel for what it's going to be like because in the NFL, unlike some of these other professional sports like baseball, for example, the game doesn't stop because Mother Nature is not cooperating. Barring lightning, you got to play through this. And that was one of the first things that Shermer mentioned when he spoke to the media It was good to see what the quarterbacks could do with these wet conditions, as well as everybody else running around. So for anybody that wants to throw out the health factor and running a fine line in terms of what may happen, if God forbid some gets hurt, they certainly were watching out for that, but they felt there was value in seeing what the guys could do out in the wet conditions. I don't think there's anything wrong with having that philosophy.
1: No, not at all. And let's face it. Okay. Uh, The rain or the weatherman, uh, however you want to describe it, uh, they don't give two craps about... No, not at all, which is pretty
0: much what I said. (laughs) Team preparations.
1: They just don't. I mean, look, here's what I will say, okay? There's one thing that they need to learn about some of these guys during these spring practices, and that's about mental approach, Okay. If you see a guy out there, a rookie in particular, I'm not talking about the veterans because they know about the veterans here, but a rookie, let's say one of these undrafted free agents who's trying to make the team, right? Because remember, there's there's nearly 90 guys on this roster right now. If they go out there in the middle of the rain and they see a guy being distracted and not being mentally focused and not doing exactly what he's supposed to do because – it's 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 a problem for him. That gets noted. That's that's gonna be a little black mark, on on his name, as they continue to move forward. Because there's no room for guys who get easily distracted by anything. You know this 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 is a this is a job. This is a business. This is all about production and winning. And if you don't have the mental toughness to get through some nasty weather during a spring walk-through, for lack of a better term, then what's the odds you're going to be able to hold up during tougher conditions
0: during the season? Where there's contact, where there's a lot more on the line. No, I think it's a valid point. So it's a good test for any player, veteran, middle-of-the-pack guy, as well as a young guy just entering the league to see, okay, you know what, they responded very well to unfriendly conditions showed their competitive spirit, competitive level. So if they can handle that, then you know what? Come week two, week three, if we're in a rainy condition on the road or even at home, I would not doubt whether or not that player could go out and perform at a high level. So I think that's the mindset, certainly, of the coaching staff. You're tuning in to Big Blue Kickoff Live this Tuesday's edition, as always, presented by Coors Light, OTA number four in the books. Lance Metal Paul DeTino, with you. We are recapping what went on at practice. We're going to open up the phone lines as well as we take you up till 1 p.m. Eastern. They will have another practice tomorrow. Pat Shermer mentioned it. One other note before no we media open up the mind. phone lines. Correct. No media, but they are going to practice. Is He continues to be impressed with the communication of the safety group, specifically Antoine Bethea and Jabril Peppers, mm-hmm. and likes what he sees already on the field in terms of them being on the same page and understand how to read the offense. And Bethay made a number of key plays again today. He's been extremely active. And you've got a veteran player, and Pepper's entering his third year, and neither of these guys have ever played with one another. So, you know, that to me is something you also look to work out at this stage in the offseason program.
1: Schumer explained himself by saying, usually when you have this type of situation, there'll be one safety who takes the lead more than the other guy. But he said both of these guys – have taken turns taking the lead. but they 14th year in the league, coming up in September. Peppers, his third year in the league as they uh, approach opening day. And that's pretty impressive to me because one would think that they would take the lead and Peppers would probably be the puppy dog to follow. But that's not the case. Obviously, Peppers is a very astute young man, very uh, excited to be playing at home again. Let's, let's not forget, and we can't say this enough, this is a big deal for Jabril Peppers, who when he came out of high school here in New Jersey was the number one high school recruit in the country and went to Michigan, had a stellar career, was a number one draft choice, but now after playing in the uh, less-than-spectacular headline-grabbing city of Cleveland,
0: <laughs> that's one way to put it,
1: he is now back home In the New York City spotlight. And starting as part of the Odell Beckham Jr. trade. This guy is really pumped up. And and I might add. I've talked to him. He's got a tremendous amount of confidence. And he's really looking forward to. Proving all the doubters and critics wrong. Who suggest that maybe. You know what? He's got deficiencies. He's only a box safety. He can't cover. That's some of the stuff that he has heard. And. Shermer has put him in coverage alignments. Betcher and Shermer both have put him in coverage alignments out here doing OTAs. And he's all over it. He had a pass that he knocked down today on the left yeah, sideline. Been very active. He he looked like a corner. So, you know, it's really good to see. This 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 guy wants to show his chops. And I think that's a really good thing for the Giants.
0: And on top of that, he's also taking part in special teams workouts. So, you know, they get ready team. punt return. Yeah, he's been in heavily involved in that group as they rotate some of the players. But Peppers is uh, front and center with respect to that rotation. Two zero one nine three nine That is the telephone number. Let's open up the phone lines here. Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Phil is in North Carolina. He gets things going. Phil, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us?
2: Yes, guys. Can you hear me? We hear you loud clear. Yep. Okay, great, great. Hey, I, I always call about draft strategies because, you know, I feel like this is why we're in the last place in our division is because of our draft strategy. Um, and particularly, you know, I harp on the issue of, you know, not drafting a, a certain positions in the first round, like, running back and tight end. I I think you can get them later. And what I'm interested in is actually looking at the stats in terms of the Eagles and the Cowboys in particular, you know, where are they, where are they drafting over the last 10 years? Where are they drafting their positions? And I can, I can almost bet you it's almost all majority defensive line, offensive line. And maybe some linebackers, uh, you know, going in there. But that's where most of them are, are drafting. And our lines have just not stacked up to theirs, you know. Until our lines are comparable to theirs, it, we're going to have a tough time beating them. And that's that's who we have to be concerned with. So, um, anyway, that's my position. I wish someone in, in our management would would uh, share that philosophy Um uh, and, uh, uh, so anyway, interested in your perspective. Well,
0: keep in mind, Phil, remember Dave Gettleman has only been on the job for, you know, two seasons we're talking about now. So, you know, he now has an opportunity to implement his philosophy compared to what the previous regime did. So when you're referring to the Giants draft history, I get your point, but the guy who was in control of the majority of those drafts is no longer here with the organization, as well as some of the individuals within the college scouting department. So, you know, there could very well be a change in philosophy and a change in direction, given the fact that a new person is running things. And when you don't Draft or emphasize those facets that you're talking about, it's important to make up for it either with undrafted players or through free agency. So that's a reason why they acquired Kevin Zeitler and now they just brought in Mike Remmers because of, to your point, what they've been lacking on the offensive line over the last few years. As far as the defensive line is concerned, yeah, there's a team that had 30 sacks last season. We've been talking about it all off season. There's a lot of young guys now in the mix. Marcus Golden, to me, is a huge player that could very well have a huge impact on this team if he could get back to the level of when he had 12 and a half sacks two years ago before the torn ACL but yeah it's fair to say there's some question marks in terms of how consistently this team is going to get after the quarterback I don't disagree with that at all and appreciate the yeah, phone call I heard-
2: yeah yeah well, sure I got that, guys yeah okay you got it uh, Phil. One, one more thing one more thing about drafting uh up instead of drafting down you know, I think we should have, you know, drafting down, I think they show is, is more prudent than drafting up. Um, and uh, so that's another thing I wish we would do more. Okay, I'll listen off. Thank you.
0: All right, Phil. Appreciate the phone call. Drafting up? My takeaway is I think he talks about moving down and moving up. That That's what I think he was trying to compare there but listen Dave Gettleman's been very active on the trade market whether it be through the draft or just through bringing in veteran players so I mean the amount of moves that he's made Paul I don't have the exact numbers in front of me I've been meaning to do it and I will do it at this point sometime this offseason but I mean what he's done in a short period of time compared to you could argue what Jerry Reese did during his whole tenure I mean I'm fair to say that Gettleman's probably matched the number of trades Jerry Reese has put together no isn't, isn't well, that fair just on the surface
1: let's put it this way the two most active GMs in terms of dealing picks and moving up or moving down for me would be a Corsi and Gettleman uh, Jerry Reese was a little bit less likely to do that than those two guys and George Young a lot less likely to do it than those other guys but you know I've been through only four GMs and you know, I guess well, the Giants uh, haven't
0: had many over the course no, of franchise No, yeah, some
1: history, organizations so, have been yeah. through a lot more than that. Have so, they ever? You know, you have a better sample size, but uh, you know, both George Young and uh, Jerry Reese, and and even of course they they had some lengthy stays here. So, in any event,
0: yeah, and that's why I mean, I wouldn't you know read too much into also the philosophy of you know teams that move down versus move up in the draft automatically indicates tremendous success. I would say most teams that tend to move up are probably going after a quarterback. That seems to be the generic trend. The Broncos and the Steelers made a trade this year as I'm reliving what transpired in 2019 and Pittsburgh moved up to grab a linebacker to replace Ryan Chazier. So, that to me is more of a rare move. The Saints also moved up to grab Davenport a year ago and, you know, they gave up a lot of assets for that. So, I'm not to say that those teams are not doing well. The Saints and the Steelers have had pretty good track records making the postseason, but there's always risk involved because you're giving up future assets in future drafts that you're going to hope you don't lose out on because they could probably help round out the rest of your roster, especially if you have other needs and other holes to plug moving forward here. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Let's head back to the lines. we got Dave and Cranford. Dave, welcome to the program. What do you got for us?
3: Lance and Paul, great to talk to you guys. I, Hi. Uh, I I just wanted to kind of reemphasize what you were saying about the safety position. And, and, and I think it's a big deal. And I, I you guys both know, I, I think one of the things that can get, kind of get lost in terms of what the Giants are trying to accomplish is really, you know, you look at the, at the Patriots and you, you look at their success and there, there's a lot of reasons for it. But w- one of the things that they're able to do better than most is, find players that fit their scheme. So it's not just about finding, you know, a great player, but it's how does that player actually fit to the scheme. And I think what you're seeing with the Giants now is that, you know, to your point in terms of how much time they've had, which hasn't been a lot, they're trying to find players that actually fit the scheme, both offensively and defensively. And and that's where I think when you look at the safeties as a combination of of the two where it's not just peppers as it relates who's better than him, You know, is Collins better than peppers or it's really peppers and the as it relates to how they play together with each other and mm-hmm. as well as with the, you know, with the corners. And I, and I think that's what you're seeing. And, and it's funny because the giants can be on one side, looked at as old fashioned. Um, and, and in some ways, maybe they are, I don't necessarily think that's necessarily a bad thing, but, They're very cutting edge right now because there's a lot more statistics out there that because of the way the offenses have have schemed and how quickly quarterbacks are getting rid of the ball, you have to cover. And if you can't cover... Um, you know, a, a Brady and a Breeze and a, and just the rest of the offensive schemes, they simply get the ball out too fast where where they can neutralize, you know, a pass rush. And now they both work in concert, but I would just like to get your guys' comments on, on those things. Well,
1: Dave, the first thing that I would say is regarding the safeties. Landon Collins, to me, is the best box safety of his time. In fact, he's probably the best box safety the NFL has seen in the last decade. I still believe that, okay? Now, for whatever deficiencies he has in his game in terms of his overall ability to cover the field and man up against shifty tight ends, if you've got another safety who can work in conjunction with him and do it really, really well, well, now you've got a couple of safeties who are going to lead you in a, in a very productive defense. So I agree with your point, because the fact of the matter is, Landon Collins did not play with a high-level free safety last year. In fact, he played with a free safety who was probably one of the least productive in the NFL. And you could argue, not only not, ver, not very much production, but was a detriment to the team in many ways because of all of the mistakes that were made that led to big plays, not just physical, but mental as well. So that has an impact on what you perceive Collins's overall value to be. Now, there's no doubt in my mind that Collins, being the best box safety in the NFL, he certainly has advantages and edges over Jabril Peppers. Let's not kid ourselves. In some ways, he's much better than Jabril Peppers. <laughs> But what does Jabril Peppers bring you? And in conjunction with Antoine Bethea, so I'm totally on board with your point, Bethea is a very intelligent, very, 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 very smart football player who at least is going to make sure all of the mental stuff is correct. Secondly, he is going to work well off of Peppers because what we know about Peppers is that the one edge he does have over Landon Collins is his speed and quickness and athleticism. He, There's no question in that regard he has an edge over Collins. And when you put those two safeties now combined together, the Giants up the middle, at least in the secondary, are going to be much stronger as a unit than they ever could have been last year with Riley and Collins. And that is not a knock on Landon Collins.
0: Keep in mind, Curtis Riley also was a converted corner. Correct. So you not only put an inexperienced guy compared to what some other safeties have dealt with, but you also gave Landon Collins, a guy that really hasn't played the safety position very long in his career before last season. So, you know, yeah, that mix certainly, I think, has an impact on one of the players. Antoine Bethé, who you were bringing up, Dave, you know, keep in mind also – If you go back to his Colts tenure, which is where he spent the majority of his career, going back to when he was initially brought into the league, they moved him around, free safety, strong safety. I mean, they didn't keep him at one position, depending right. on who they brought in to complement him. So he's got a lot of experience being moved around. And you know, James Betcher last year was inheriting a roster, so is Dave Gettleman, that he knew, listen, there was no way they were going to be able to turn over the entire defense, Paul. No. So now, with another offseason under their belts, now James Betcher is bringing in to the caller's point, more players that are fit for his scheme. That's why Marcus Golden was brought in. Kareem Martin is already here. We mentioned Antoine Bethea. He also has a track record with him. And then all of the guys that they're drafting, the O'Shane Zimenezes, the Dexter Lawrences, with the intent that they also can fit well into the scheme. So. I think the encouraging aspect entering this offseason compared to last year is Betcher and Gettleman, I think, have a better grasp of what they need out of this group more so than what they were working with last year when they were pretty much saying, hey, we'll work with what we got, but there's only so much turnover we can do considering we just got here.
3: And and I think, Paul, you absolutely, guys. And, Paul, you've made the point just in terms of a defense, you know, taking time to to gel. I I was reading on – giants.com some of your comments about you know where the toughest stretch of the of the games were and I thought Paul you were a little bit outside the box but a good point which was the first couple games just because you're talking about you know people catching up to up to speed w- which I agree with it, it, the only thing that I would add is that one of the benefits of Betcher bringing in a, play, a player like the mm-hmm. uh, golden you know um Olsen Pierre and, you know guys like that is that while you know there's, I'm sure, some new wrinkles. They they all get that scheme and they're familiar with that scheme. And I and I think so. The ability to bring in new talent, but talent that actually, you know, I'm hoping that part of the the benefit of that would be that they're able to play a little bit faster and and um, you know have a have a bigger impact earlier in the season. You would hope so.
1: Now it didn't work well last year because Morrow was suspended. Uh, Kareem Martin. Just had a very quiet season, if you ask me. And William Gay, of course, didn't even make it to the regular season roster. So, you know, yep. the guys still have to be able to play. I mean, it's not just all about knowing the system. That's a big part of it. But you still got to go out there and produce on the field.
3: hundred percent, Paul. Hey, guys, thanks for the call. The best show in the business. Hi, right, Dave. Thank you. Thanks for uh, tuning in. Thanks for the phone call.
0: Yeah, I think you bring up a fair point. Paul, listen, it's nice on paper, and this is the time of the year where we don't have much to evaluate, so we look on paper and the storyline of familiarity certainly comes into play, and I think that's a positive. But at the end of the day, hey, it's great you know the scheme. It's great you and Betcher have had an opportunity to get to know one another and understand the philosophy of the defense. If guys are not in the right position, all that familiarity stuff you could throw out the window. It really doesn't mean much of anything. And we're going to tell a lot in the first few weeks of the season. I just think... The difference between the familiarity storyline this year versus last year, Paul, is I think there are more veterans on this roster that have been extremely productive in better scheme. That's one thing that I think comes to mind. And I think the other thing is you're also talking about a few players that have pretty good track records. Like Antoine Bethea, I brought up his Colts tenure. Now, this is not his first rodeo. He's been in a variety of defenses He understands what it means to adapt to a new scheme. I think it's going to help him immensely that he has been with James Betcher's scheme. But let's not make it sound like the two of them crossed paths for decades. You know, they were only overlapped there for about a season Mm -hmm. in Arizona. So I just think the fact that he has been exposed to a variety of different teammates at the safety position, he's been exposed to a variety of different schemes, I think helps... Jabril Peppers and also helps him Compared to what we were just talking about earlier Curtis Riley was a corner Curtis Riley was not a player that had gotten A lot of reps at safety so there is a Completely different lens that Antoine Bethea brings to this team compared To what Curtis Riley brings to the team and I think That alone the experience factor Is a huge advantage for Betcher as well as the Giants defense Regardless of whether or not he's been With James Betcher down the road It's
1: a fair point I mean Look Here's the bottom line. No matter what scheme is drawn up, okay, the Giants players themselves are going to have to be comfortable with what it is that they're doing. And that's why when the caller mentioned uh, the question that we had on on Giants.com and I had answered, you know, to me, the first four games of the season. Because, look, I remember what happened when Spags came in and you had a bunch of veterans on that team. But, because they didn't know the scheme right away, you know, this wasn't about youth or experience. This was about guys not feeling comfortable with what they were doing, understanding where so-and-so is going to be. Do you have my back? I got your back. I can take a chance on this because I know you're going to be there to cover it up. You
0: got to feel for one another.
1: The, the comfort level with everything that's moving at once on the field is the most important factor above all of this stuff. So you could say that you know the scheme. Yeah, but if the guy next to you doesn't know it, guess what? It's a busted coverage. Of course. So so they all have to have it in unison, and they all have to be looking at each other's back and understanding where each other is going to be. And that is even more important, to be perfectly frank with you, than bringing in a guy from another place where one of your coaches already has coached. So we will see how long it takes for for the Giants to do that. I want to get to one uh, Twitter comment. Clayton Harding says this draft had more trades than any in NFL history, 40. We only made one despite having 12 picks to work with. I think we were too conservative and should have traded up into the second or third rounds when most of the best players were taken by other teams. So says uh, Clayton Harding, 14. Uh, I think you have to look at this and say, well, as far as I'm concerned, Dave Gettleman already made a huge trade involving draft picks when he made the deal with Cleveland before the draft started. So you have to count that one. And by the way, that was a nuclear warhead. It was a huge Most deal. moves, yeah. So you have to include that as part of his draft trade scorecard. Then he goes and makes a trade to sneak up into the bottom of the first round to go get DeAndre Baker who very well may be the best, best press cover corner in this draft. So I would I would tell you Clayton, I think I think you're mistaken on this one, because both of those trades, which involved 2019 draft choices, were extremely significant.
0: Well, I would also throw in the Sam Beal transaction in there too, Paul, because that involved this year's draft class as well. So I think it's three transactions. It's the Sam Beal supplemental pick. As you mentioned, it's the Odell Beckham-Olivier Vernon deal. You want to treat it as two separate ones. One makes no difference to me. And then the DeAndre Baker move. So there were really three moves in which you use draft pieces from 2019 That's fair. to bring in personnel. That's the best way that I would look at it, and only one of them actually happened during the course of the draft. And I also think, in fairness, just because some records are set and you weren't as aggressive team as perhaps the rest of the league doesn't mean that you're wrong for that. I mean, that's the old story. If everybody jumps off the bridge, should you follow? Right. I mean, you can't necessarily say, well, you know, these two other GMs in my division were very aggressive. That means we're not doing something right. I don't think he should have that philosophy.
1: The other thing he's got to keep in mind, okay, is that when you look at what the Giants did, they they had 10 draft choices that they actually used, and they used seven of those 10 on defense – to reinforce a defense that did not play well last season. They got a lot of numbers on defense, which quite frankly is what they needed. They needed quantity on defense because they had so many holes on that unit. Just making a deal and packaging it for one player was not going to fill all the holes. The dam was still going to be springing a lot of leaks in this case to grab seven defensive rookies. Boy, I'll tell you what, there's a real chance that six of those seven defensive rookies, I'm, I'm thinking Slayton might be practice squad, but I bet you the other six defensive rookies all make the 53. So to knock that would be foolish.
0: Lawrence, Baker, Zimenez, Love, I mean, those four guys, I think well, everybody... They're a is pretty much indicating that they'll be part of the 53. Connolly, you know, we'll see what he brings to training camp, but highly given the likely fact that he makes it. Special teams usage combined with defense, I think, bodes very well for him. Corey Ballantyne, we'll see how he recovers along the way. Unless and then, something
1: unforeseen happens with
0: him, you'd have to give him a good shot. Yeah, well, and here's the other thing considering the changes at cornerback, forget the rest of the roster. And the fact that Janoris Jenkins, I've brought this up multiple times, Janoris Jenkins, Grant Haley, and Tony Lippitt, Paul, are the only three corners on this year's roster that got defensive snaps last year. Doesn't mean they got a boatload of defensive snaps. It just means they had some presence on the field when the Giants were running their defense. That's it. Everybody else is completely brand new to this defense. So that alone, I think, makes it very promising for anybody that is a rookie or an undrafted rookie who plays the cornerback position, to say, hey, I've got a legitimate shot to solidify a roster spot. Because look at my competition. My competition is Janoris Jenkins fine. But outside of Janoris Jenkins is Tony Lippen and Grant Haley. Are they locks, Paul? Would you treat them as locks? I would not treat them as locks. No, I think.
1: although I think Haley has a pretty and strong foothold. He's, he's not only has a leg up, but he's got a strong foothold.
0: And he should have a leg up because he's been in the system. And he did more than flash at the tail end of last season. So if you want to say he's got an edge... That's fine. I would not, though, consider him a lock. So when you look at the landscape of the cornerback position, if I'm a young corner, I'm saying to myself, if I go out every day, I leave it all out on the line, that's extremely encouraging that I'm going to make an indent on this roster and I'm in all likelihood going to give them a reason to keep me on the 53. So when you take that into consideration, I think that's a huge plus. But I, I do think it is fair to bring in the rest of the league in comparison to the Giants, I think perspective is important. The other thing that I would add to the Twitter statement is, Paul, remember, you're only going to have an opportunity to package sevens and sixes and move up so high. A seven and a few sixes, if you well, think that's going to get you to the third round, come on. It's let, not going to get you to the let, third round, Let's get to
1: the other point, which has been totally left off the board here. and That is, you have no idea... How many conversations Dave Gettleman may have had well, to try to make other moves, and that's relevant. I mean,
0: but but I'm just looking at it realistically, right? But to
1: criticize point. him by saying, "Oh, he didn't make enough moves," that's a ridiculous statement because you don't know what his efforts were.
0: All the conversations that happen be c- behind closed doors, you, you certainly don't know what would have taken place or what was close to at least coming through. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three. Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by Coors Light. We got Clay now on the line in Brooklyn. You read his tweet, and all of a sudden, he wants to respond. <laughs> What's happening, Clay?
4: Hey, guys. How you doing? Hi. Also, I was, I'm not taking it personally. <laughs> I'll just say that, um, yeah, this definitely was a, a draft where a lot of trades happened, and that's the point I was trying to make. And, and I don't agree that it only would have been sixes and sevens that you move up with. Uh, I think that, you know, we had some players, some veterans, that we also – Probably could have uh, sought the trade, but you did raise a good point just now that we don't know what calls were uh, happening behind the scenes. We don't know what Gettleman tried to do that didn't work. But people like Kareem Martin, like Gallup you know, we we've been talking with them, you know, for months um, that we probably need to get more production out of those two positions. Um, and I, again, I don't expect the league to give us you know first round draft picks for those guys, but I do think that some combination of three fifth round picks, you know, two sixes and a seven, and some of those guys might have gotten us up into that void between pick 30 and 95, which I think is where we lost the draft.
1: You you know what, Clay? I think the most important thing that that the Giants were able to do early in this offseason, and you heard me talk about this way back when, I think in November I was even talking about it, I said, you know what, there's no way that Dave Gettleman is going to go through the draft with that cavern in the third round because he had (laughs) traded the supplemental pick, remember, by taking Beal, he had lost his right. third rounder. And I had said about 500,000 times that he's never going to go into the draft that way, right? Do you remember me saying that? I he, do. He's, I say it too. <laughs> he's going to fill that void. He's going to get something in there so that he's not twiddling his thumbs. And he right. did. And to me, that was the most important of, of the moves that he made. And then the second most important move he made was to get into the first round and grab Baker. By the way, the third round pick turns out to be the X-Man. Uh, Zimenez, who we don't know right now. I mean, Old Dominion guy, seems to have a lot of promise, a lot of potential. Who knows? If he turns out to be a double-digit sack guy, wow. You know, that trade involving the Browns to bring home that third-round pick will turn out to be a lot more significant than even we
4: think right now. Listen, I'm a big Odell fan, as big as anybody, but I think we got more than we should have expected for him. Well, based honest, on market value what, of
1: other trades he, of star players, especially receivers, you you're right.
4: Antonio Brown drew Jarvis Landry him and for him, and, and, and Amari Cooper. I mean we yeah, know all those the people who are on Odell's level mm-hmm. what he got back for them. Sure. Well, I think we did fine. I think Peppers is gonna be great. I think that if we had kept Landon Collins and and convinced him and listen, you guys are at the building every day. I'm not. I have no idea what Landon Collins' mindset is, but from what It seems like, as a fan looking at his tweets and everything, it seems like he really wanted to stay here. So, if we had said to him, listen, we want you to move to inside linebacker, where instead of being one of the slowest safeties in the league, now he's one of the fastest inside linebackers in the league, especially on third down, you know, maybe instead of having um, Old Tree and and, um, BJ Goodson trying to cover people out of backfield. We have Collins at inside linebacker in addition to Peppers, in addition to Bethesda. Yeah, that to me is how you get off the field on third down. We have to have better coverage from ours. Here's Whoever's the one thing, Clay. Here's
1: the one thing you got to remember: this is not a Madden video game. And why? <laughs> why do I say that? Fair I enough. say that Fair because enough. you have salary cap implications. Okay, a right. lot of contractual things handcuff you from doing things you may want to do strategically, and then of course right. you also have injuries which play into things as well I mean the Giants were hoping to get healthier younger quicker and more economically efficient and you couldn't have done any of those things if you held on to Landon Collins
4: not well you could have if you let go of Alex Ogletree Ogletree check in everything you just said Collins is better than Ogletree he's younger than Ogletree he's cheaper than Ogletree at least he was last year He's faster than overtree He's a better coverage. Yeah, There's but no, Collins isn't probably, cheaper
1: than him right now because look at the not, deal no, 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 that he no, had no, to not sign. Now,
4: but he wouldn't have had that offer if we had signed him before. He well, now, I don't know. yeah, but they and would I don't have. Know how they, much he knew about what was being. Yeah, about.
1: Well, it turns out, if you've if, if, you, if you watched how the whole thing played out, his agent was really uh, looking for the moon, and he obviously got the moon. My hunch is yeah. he promised Collins he was going to get him those kinds of outrageous numbers, which is why the Giants were going to be in a position where they were going to have to forcibly tag him. And even the tag was going to put Collins' price tag at a very high level.
0: Well, and it was also going to lock like them into that amount without being able to use that money in free agency, too, Clay.
4: Yeah, that's the other factor.
0: A
1: lot sure. of when negative, a lot of negative things were going to happen as a result right. of what you're trying to propose.
4: Right? No, I wasn't trying. I, I was just saying, is there any way we could have kept Collins instead of Obertone, not in addition to Obertone? Obertone to I, me, yeah.
1: Is I don't. I don't <laughs> contractually. I don't think that would have been a very sound move. Fair
4: but, enough. Fair thank enough. you, Listen, Clay. Appreciate it. It's it. On now, you know, like I, I, yep. I just hope we. Well, oh, I mean we, oh,
1: oh, we
0: lost him. We lost okay. Yeah Go ahead. But I appreciate the phone call. Well, I mean, his main question was, in terms of also the financial implications, you have to take it into consideration. If you're to part ways with Alec Ogletree, you don't just get rid of a guy like that, and then all of a sudden the money comes off the books. There's repercussions, dead sure money, and are. all of those things. So you know it's not so simple as oh well we bring back Collins at the franchise tag, we let Alec Ogletree go. Yeah, and then that's a domino effect on impacting who else you went after in free agency. So all of those things are relevant within that conversation.
1: Ogletree signed through the 21 season. Just yeah, remember and, and, that.
0: well, and that's why it, it, it's so. not as if he's just one guy that's going to come off the books because he was a free agent. It, it wasn't going to be so simple. Let's head back to the phone lines. We got. Let's check it with Mike in Tenafly. Mike, what's happening?
4: Hey, guys. How are you? Hi, you right, Mike.
0: Doing all right. What's happening? Uh,
4: first of all, uh, rest in peace, Bart Starr. What a saint of man, man, uh, manhood. I'll tell you. For sure. That guy was what an outstanding man on and off the field.
1: Yeah, and as one of the flagship organizations in the NFL, uh, the whole Giants family, I'm sure, offering condolences to the Packer family. Uh, Bart Starr, one of those guys who you, you, you could always hang your hat on. He was going to be a class act.
4: Yes. Uh, my question to both of you, uh, we're starting to get, I see, a few people in the backfield now. We've got Perkins coming back. You've got Penny, Where um, Where's Rod Smith fit in? I find this interesting. I haven't done enough research on him to see, can he take passes out of the backfield, or he is he can. just a straight-ahead rim, well, or, if, or what? If but, you remember, uh, I'll Mike... Take, I'll take your answer. Thank you. Yeah, you sure. got it, Mike.
0: appreciate the phone call. I mean, I'm not trying to pour salt into the wounds of Giants fans, but if you remember... The Cowboys played the Giants, and one of the last games of the season, I mm-hmm. want to say, in. About four years 2000- ago. No, it wasn't that. F- that was- 2017, four if memory ago? serves me correctly. Two years ago. I and can't Rod even remember. Rod Smith anymore. had two touchdowns yeah, against yeah. the Giants, and one of them was off a short pass that he took to the house. So, yes, Rod Smith absolutely has the ability to catch passes out of the backfield. He's a versatile enough guy that if he wants to be that third down back. I think he certainly has the ability to do so. And he previously was a fullback, Paul. I'm not saying they're going to use him because the Cowboys wanted him to play that initially, and then they realized he really wasn't as big enough, so they decided against it. But if you do want him in short-yarded situation, I think he's capable of doing that. That's why I bring that up. 6'3",
1: 235 pounds. But see, in my mind, I like Paul Perkins to be the third down back and the third-string halfback. Uh, I'm a big Paul Perkins guy. I'm not giving up on him. In 2016, ran for over four yards of carry, over 400 yards as a rookie, caught another 15 balls for almost 11 yards of catch. I think Paul Perkins is a much better suit uh, or suited uh, to be the third down back than Rod Smith is, and maybe Smith does in fact fight it out with Perry as the fullback if they even with keep Penny, a yeah, fullback.
0: Yeah. No, I, I
2: with, think, with
1: Penny, yeah, that, that may that may be possible. I don't know. But, but I'm telling you right now, I go into camp thinking that Paul Perkins is going to be my third string running back. But I, I can't give him a strong foothold on it because, after all, he spent a year on injured reserve.
0: Well, and that's why it's show-me time for Paul Perkins. It is. That's essentially what it is. No question. He's one of those guys. He's motivated, though. He is 100% motivated, but we've seen other guys in previous years, all the motivation in the world, and don't necessarily take full advantage. But Perkins, he's hungry. He was a spectator all of last season, and I agree with you. He certainly has an opportunity. Rod Smith, though, has been in the mix. He's been on the field for last season compared to Paul Perkins. So it, it really depends on, I think, productivity in the preseason, what they see out of these guys in training camp and you know, I would not also dismiss Rod Smith pushing Wayne Goldman a little too. You know, especially when you bring in a guy who's got some experience. I am not gonna go so far to say that number two and down is automatically locked in at that running back position. I no, think I'm there with could you. be some movement there. I'm with you. So to me it's not just the third spot. I think it's the second spot up for grabs too and I think you bring up an interesting point about if they feel Rod Smith can be that fullback slash running back, now all of a sudden maybe Elijah Penny feels like he has some competition too. That hasn't been toyed with, but considering Rod Smith's played the fullback position, I, I wouldn't dismiss that from the conversation as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, the good news is he has shown some versatility in the league before so they can kind of toy with him and see where he best fits.
0: Let's head back to the phone lines. we got Mark in Jersey City. Mark, welcome aboard to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you have for
5: us? Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, Hi. First-time caller, long-time watcher. Well, thank you. Thanks for tuning uh, in. Love your format. Uh, Non-Giants fan, I just wanted to offer my perspective on the Giants. I uh, know a lot of Giants fans here in North New Jersey. I love what they've done. I personally, from a non-Giants fan point of view, the whole narrative about Daniel Jones not taking him where they should have, it's, it's ridiculous to imply that the media knew where he should have been taken. <laughs> it's, it's, it's laughable to me because I'm a Bills fan and similar things were said about Josh Allen. The analytic crowd just firmly entrenched if he's just destined to not be good. Um, I, I think the kid is going to be really good. Um, I, I like the fact that he played at a lower-level program and he offers, this is going to be weird for Giants fans to hear, or watch. They're going to get to watch a quarterback who gives them the off-schedule play ability. The ability to have plays happen on the move, boots, naked, just getting that cheap first down, you know, on a broken play. That's going to be a real weapon in their arsenal. And it's something they're not used to seeing. I don't know really ever, maybe since Hostetler.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. But here's the point, and this is what everybody misses when they rip the pick. Okay, And look, if you've listened to the show at all, you know that I, I didn't think that Daniel Jones would be picked at six either. I thought that was really high for him. But here's the point. If the general manager really believes in the player and he's got a chance to grab him and does not, well, then he's not doing his job. And that's the only point that you need to know. The GM is paid to have conviction to study up on the prospects, and to pick the guy who he believes is best suited to help his team. So if Dave Gettleman decided that Daniel Jones was a must-have player, that he does himself and this organization a disservice if he lets him pass by at number six, period. So when you consider the, the way that business is done and what his responsibility is, he has to make that pick, regardless of what any of the other people on the face of the earth think. He has to make the
4: pick.
5: Oh, I agree 100%. Uh, and it just shows the confidence that he had in the pick, the conviction. And there was this also, it's a percept- an assumption that Josh Allen's going to be good. Well, I mean, he look at it this bus way bus George yeah. Young
1: felt that Phil Sims had to be the pick when nobody in their right mind even knew who Phil Sims was out of Moorhead State. But George Young said, that's my guy. He made the pick. He shut out the rest of the world. And Phil Simms wound up winning a Super Bowl for the Giants, and he was an all-time legend. Ernie Acorsi, although we all knew who Eli Manning was, Ernie Acorsi went and traded three other draft picks to swap out with, with San Diego to go get Eli Manning because he believed, that's my guy. And it doesn't matter what I got to pay for him. I'm getting my guy. If you don't have conviction, you don't belong in the chair.
0: If you love a guy, you go after him. And that's exactly what happened so anyway, with the New York Giants. It's a,
1: it's a ridiculous criticism because anybody in that chair has to make that pick. They're responsible to do it. Anyway.
0: All right, Mark. Appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. I mean, we certainly have had this conversation multiple times on this program. But, you know, he brought up Josh Allen and, you know, the thing with Allen last year There were a lot of people that questioned him coming out of a smaller program like Wyoming. Allen also didn't have a very good offensive line his rookie year in Buffalo. So they went out. They tried to bring in more competition this offseason in Buffalo. We'll see whether or not he can make leaps and bounds and not just being a pure runner because he was running a lot last year, but it wasn't necessarily by choice. It was because he had to because plays were breaking down so much. And
1: let's make something very clear because I don't want people to believe that this is revisionist history because we're doing a giant show. We had said in the months going into the draft, I know you were on board with me on this, and I think John Schmelk was as well. And that was, hey, if I'm making the pick and I'm not in that chair, okay, I don't necessarily take a quarterback at six. In fact, I preached, you don't take a quarterback in the first round because I thought Eli Manning had enough left and you could probably get somebody later, including potentially Daniel Jones. Okay, but I always said, the asterisk is, if the general manager has conviction and believes in a particular QB, he owes it to everybody to take him. And I always said that. That's the asterisk. I made it very clear. And and so he did what he had to do.
0: Yeah, I've been in line with that philosophy. I mean, even when we were talking about the 2018 draft class, I said... Hey, you could sell me on all of these quarterbacks is you go around your room and your scouting department loves this one guy and the GM loves this guy and it's the coaching staff loves the guy, and then you take him and you don't really ask any questions. And you know, anybody that wants to play the game of speculation, the coulda, woulda, shoulda game, it's all based on hypotheticals. There's not one fundamental fact behind the claim that Daniel Jones would have been available at another pick. We don't know because it's in a world that is not fact. It's not reality. We'd have to ask every other team to go through and simulate a draft if this guy was now still on the board or whatever it may be. And to me, it's a wasteful activity because you're never going to enter a world where that exists. So why even waste your time with it? The Giants had conviction with Daniel Jones. They took him, and now time will tell what becomes of Daniel Jones. See, there are are two things you can criticize a GM
1: for. If he believes in a particular player and doesn't take him, then he second guesses himself and he made a mistake. If he doesn't necessarily believe in a player, but he takes him anyway for some other outside force or reason that impacted his decision, that means he had a weak stomach. And you can criticize
0: him for that. Neither one of those scenarios applied here. Be the guy on the island who stands all alone. If you feel good about the pick, then you know what? You don't need everybody to hold your hand. It was what we were talking about earlier, somewhat related, when you read the tweet that said this was a very aggressive draft. A lot of teams made picks. Okay, but does that mean that you have to be the team that also makes uh, trades, I meant not make picks, move up? No, if, if you feel good about where you're at, if you feel good about the makeup of your roster, then you stand behind it. Give me an executive that is 100% committed to his stance, Paul, to your point, than somebody who's on the fence and dancing around with the idea of doing things. I'd rather, you know what, fail at least with conviction behind it than have no conviction at all. And Dave Gettleman made it very clear he loved Daniel Jones. And you're probably not going to have enough evidence to run away with whatever your thought process is with this season alone. Because if Daniel Jones does not get in, and it's Eli Manning, and there's not a lot of lopsided affairs for even Daniel Jones to get in, you may not really get a taste of what he's going to bring. It's going to be a process, just like it is with a lot of young quarterbacks in the National Football League, and we've seen that. Even Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs don't lock in a playoff spot. He probably doesn't see the field at all in 2017 and week one is his very first game last year on the football field that could very well happen with daniel jones there are no guarantees and there's no exact game plan that is fully scripted right now
1: we have uh mr chris 172 on twitter says uh good to see uh, get used to seeing rj mcintosh more often mcintosh uh, getting some extra reps today during the course of the OTA, the defensive lineman the Giants took on the third day out of uh, the Miami Hurricanes program last season and, of course, was sidelined for, for most of the year. Because of an illness. Because of an illness. And then when he finally got on the field in December, he showed some flashes. Uh, very athletic player. You know, I do think he needs to sculpt himself and add a little more power, but he certainly has some athleticism and played at a very uh, prestigious program, to say the least, even though the Hurricanes have had some down years lately.
0: Well, don't tell that to Jeff Eagles, but that's all whole other subject. <laughs> R.J. McIntosh, I would throw in the same department as Paul Perkins, Paul. Now, I understand Perkins had a year or two with the Giants previously, but it's show-me time. Anybody coming back from injury, given the turnover rate on this roster and how many changes Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer have made, it is show-me time. So, R.J. McIntosh, Paul Perkins— Add him to the list. Avery Moss. Avery Moss is another good candidate to throw into the mix. You know, there's a lot of guys that they've been on the fence because of injuries here or there. Corey Coleman is a guy I would throw out there, not because of injuries with the Giants, but just because he's been moved from team to team. Okay, can you maintain stability in the current situation that you're in? Can you produce? Can you do it day in and day out? Show me. We have Alex
1: Wilson says, as I've been saying, the Giants secondary has so much young talent. I'm very excited to see them play and gain some experience. This unit can be elite with a bit of development. Baker, Beal, and Love all showing why the Giants drafted them during OTAs. We've been discussing these guys ever since they were selected. Uh, No secret there. The Giants understood. I mean, consider Baker was a one, Beal was a three last year, and Love was a four this year who was clearly undervalued. Uh, by a lot of NFL teams because well, most people we've talked to in the business figured he at the very least was a top ten corner, maybe a top five corner in this draft, and they were able to get him in the fourth round. So, uh, Alex, I, I don't think there's any uh, debating what it is that you said. And then we have Mr. Girard says the last couple of seasons the offense has been very slow, boring, and predictable. I remember watching Perkins going for no gain back on back-to-back plays in 2016. Now I hope the amount of talent offense, offense in the second year of the system provides unpredictability for opponents. Well, Paul Perkins ran for, about, I believe, like 450 yards as a rookie in 2016 and over four yards a carry. Uh, you're probably referring to 2017, the year in which he had very few touches, very little playing time, and when he was in there was, was very ineffective. I don't think anybody would dispute the fact that during – uh, Paul Perkins' rookie season. He was probably one of the top three or four rookie running backs in the NFL. Um, the numbers certainly prove that out to be the case. You probably don't remember the big play he had in Minnesota when he absolutely exploded on a short screen pass, and I think he went something like 80 yards. Uh, Paul Perkins, when he came out of UCLA, actually had the, the best elusiveness numbers of any running back in that draft in terms of making defenders miss. And that's what he does well. I personally believe that's why he'd be a terrific third down back. Because you can get him the ball in the flat, check him on a screen,
0: open space, or
1: even a check down situation. He's got moves to make people miss, and he's got pretty good hands. I I think Paul Perkins is a is a perfect third down back, to be quite frank with you. Now we got to see him block a little bit more because in the limited time we've had him we're here with the Giants where we've seen him with the Giants he hasn't had to do much in pass pro which you have to do if you're going to be a third down back you got to be able to do that sometimes you got to stay in and you got to pick up a hot read but i no i, I
0: i'm sorry uh, m girard totally disagree with you well speaking of blocking i remember and i'm looking up the season to confirm cleveland when the Giants were in Cleveland, so this is the 2016 season, Paul, if you remember, Perkins is the starting running back, and this was like the coming out party for him in terms of moving forward in pass protection. Jamie Collins, who's now back with the Patriots, was with the Cleveland Browns at the time, had a blitz right up the gut, and it was Paul Perkins, Perkins who stepped nailed in, him. right? He nailed him. And nailed Collins, mm-hmm. and, and that was a moment that the coaching staff pointed out he's matured as a pass protector. And now we want to see him do that consistently. So he's got the capabilities, to your point, to do it. It's just unfortunately because of injuries and not having many reps hasn't really had a lot of moments to do that. But I think if they want him to take on the third down role... There's no doubt about it. He can take on that role. And as far as the last point real quickly in terms of the tweet. we got to get the presser. Yes, I believe we, Barkley's talking. we, we got to go. All right. I just wanted to make the claim that the last part of that tweet was about second year in the offense, maybe showing more unpredictability. It's very much like the defense. You have more familiarity. You can toy with the personnel a little bit more. All right. That is going to wrap things up for us. Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. For Paul Latino, I'm Lance Meadow. We're back up and running tomorrow with a new edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. Speak to you then.